This morning, I ask you to take your copy of God's Word and open your Bible to Matthew chapter 5. We've been looking at the Beatitudes, the opening of the Sermon on the Mount as it's titled in Matthew's Gospel. And uh, we are at the second to the last of the Beatitudes. Blessed are the peacemakers. This morning I'll begin with verse 2, and we'll read through verse 12. Matthew chapter 5, verse 2. Hear now the inerrant and infallible authoritative word of God to his people. And Christ opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely. On my account, rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of God abides forever. Let's pray. Lord and God, we thank you so much that you have your eye on the sparrow. You see all, not only the actions of men, (coughs) but our very hearts. You know all. You know all things infinitely well. We ask you now, Father, for your grace and peace. Through Jesus our Lord, as we consider your word to your people, encourage and comfort your sons and daughters in Christ. We praise you in his name and for his sake. Amen. How valuable is peace to you? How much thought do you give to the whole concept of peace? What would you pay for it? When you think of the ideal of peace, of harmony, what comes to mind? What is... What is your meditation upon peace? We once learned if we give the world a Coke, that it would bring peace on earth. Well, now the very peacemakers have become disturbers of the peace, haven't they? How long have men sought to bring peace in the Middle East? Decades. To Syria between the U.S. and Russia. As we observe our world, we can identify areas in which it seems that there will never, ever be complete peace. Consider race relations in our country. The very identification of men along racial lines is a means of division. Those who call themselves leaders 
in this area, in fact, do nothing but deepen the divide. Real, lasting peace seems impossible. You think of the young mother with her children trying to find a moment just to think a complete thought. But through Christ, God offers a treaty of peace. He declares to you that His wrath has been fully satisfied in the death of Christ. And this is demonstrated to you visibly in the resurrection of Christ. And He calls you to be at peace with Him and to point others to peace. So this morning we will see from Matthew chapter 5, verse 9, that those who seek to make peace between men and God and between man and man will be given the title sons of God. Those who seek to make peace between men and God and between man and man will be given the title sons of God. Remember, when we get to this place in Scripture that Israel are not at peace with God. The covenantal promise to Israel was one of peace. We think of the great ironic benediction from Numbers chapter 24, Numbers chapter 6, verses 24 to 26, in which the priest would say to them, the Lord cause His face to shine upon you and give you peace. This was the promise of the covenant. We think all along the lines of the expressions of this one great covenant of grace given to Adam in the skins of animals that the Lord's wrath had been satisfied in the taking of this life. He clothed them in these skins and made peace. With Noah, it was expressed in God's grace resting upon him and saving his sons. He gave them life with Abram. God himself passed through the rent pieces of animals saying, let all of the curses of the covenant fall upon me. I am making peace with you. In Moses, the Mosaic covenant, God gave them the fullness of the system of sacrifices day in and day out. God was declaring to them, I will make you clean. In the Davidic covenant, God is declaring in a visible way, I dwell with my people. In the name, in the place where I cause my name to reside, there you will come to me and we will have peace. And not only that, but all nations, all nations will look to the temple and pray and God will give peace on earth. God's covenant is a covenant of peace. But Israel did not walk in peace with God. They defied Him. And they worshipped other gods. And God declared that He would give them a writ of divorce. This covenant of peace, Israel, no longer belongs to you. 
you have rejected me. But still, the prophets of Israel walked through the streets, even though God had declared His intention to judge them by foreign nations. The prophets, so-called, walked through the streets, crying out to the people, peace, peace, where there was no peace. Jesus here enters into that context once again to offer peace to his people. First of all then, he teaches us from this verse, Matthew chapter 5 verse 9, that the people of God seek to make peace between men and God. Notice there, read with me verse uh, 9 of Matthew chapter 5, blessed are the peacemakers. This is an interesting term, peacemakers. It's one that theologians call uh, hapax legomena. It's a big word that means it's only said one time. We don't find the term peacemaker anywhere else in Scripture but here. Jesus is teaching us that those who are blessed by God are ones who make or create or do peace. The word that Jesus used seems like he has created this word to fit this context. He's put two words together, peace and maker. The term maker can be used in other places as in the sense of creating something or doing something. God's people are those who make peace. They create peace. As we think about this word, we remember then that we enter into a world that by nature is not at peace. I don't have to say that to you. You know it's true. The world around us is not at peace. Otherwise, the term would be completely unnecessary. Why would we be peacemakers if the world were at peace? We are called to go into the world to take the broken pieces of men's lives and knit them back together. If we surveyed humanity, I joke with my children, they'll tell me that dogs do certain things because it means X, Y, and Z. If a dog goes by your bathroom door, for instance, it means that it's, you're part of its pack. And I'll joke with my children, I say, did you know they surveyed 800 dogs? And we found out that all of them love chocolate bars. And they say, Dad. If we surveyed humanity, most folks would say they want peace. But if we observe attitudes and behaviors, we learn that conflict and strife are what we create by nature. Consider what James says in chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet 
and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. We, by nature, are people who make chaos. Many of you, you can look at in the wake of your life and you look back and you see burned bridges, strife, turmoil, and broken relationships. Do you know why this is? It goes back to the very fall itself. Do you remember in Genesis 3, God began by cursing the serpent And in chapter 3, verse 15, he looked at them and he said, I will put enmity between your seed and the seed of the woman. In the very epoch of creation, the moment of that curse, God established a boundary of animosity between the sons of God and the sons of the devil. It is knit now into the fabric of creation because of the fall. Warfare and conflict are natural to humanity. Peace is not. We we shouldn't wonder then why there is war in the earth. Why are Syria and whoever else back at it again? Why are the Kurds back at it again? Why is Israel and the Palestinians back at it again? War and conflict are natural to humanity. A few years ago, there was a a newspaper article about a gentleman by the name of Larry Ripple, 70-year-old man, who went into a bank with a gun and put a note on the counter saying, give me all your cash. And so the teller handed over the money And Larry took the money, walked into the lobby, and sat down and started a conversation with the security guard. Larry said he wanted to go to jail rather than go back home and live with his wife. That's a true story. By nature, we so wrath, conflict, and war. The first sort of peace then that you and I are to pursue is peace between men and God. Men war with one another because they are at war with God. The natural bent of the heart is to make war with God. Every system that sets up against the knowledge of God is intended to fight against Him. So God has given to the church a ministry of reconciliation. Consider Paul's words from 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 11. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. But what we are is known to God. And I hope it is known also to your conscience in 2 Corinthians 5.20. Therefore, we are ambassadors of Christ. And listen to these words. 
God making his appeal through us. Does that grab you? God is making an appeal for peace to the world around us through his people. When you proclaim the gospel, when you evangelize your neighbors, God is making his appeal through you. Some take this ministry of reconciliation in an overly secular sense. They look at this and they think that we are, our work is to go into the world and, and be something like the Peace Corps. But this is a distraction to the church's true work. God reconciles sinful men to himself through Christ by means of the preaching of the gospel. Is our city at peace with God? Are your neighbors at peace with God? Is your family at peace with God through Christ? God is calling upon each and every one of us to seek the peace of men around us. His mission to us in this present age is to compel men, listen, to go out into the highways and the byways and compel men to come in by the preaching of the gospel to enter into his peace through Jesus Christ who said, come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. You remember the absolute hostility of the Apostle Paul who went around breathing threats against the church. You think if ever there was a man that could not be reached by the gospel of Jesus Christ, it was the one who made war on a daily basis, who sat and watched Stephen be stoned to death as he looked upon the face of Christ in heaven. In the conversion of Paul, Christ is showing you that when he makes his appeal through you, it is powerful to save. We first of all seek to make peace between men and God. But we also, secondly, the sons of God, the people of God, seek to make peace between man and man. I want you to understand something here. Peacemaking is not the same as peacekeeping. My wife's grandmother had a favorite saying, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be miserable. <laughs> you are not called to peacekeeping. You are not called to put up and shut up. Peacekeeping is passive. It is the decision to do nothing, to ignore sin, to hide your feelings, to be quiet. I'm just going to keep the peace. That brings no glory to God. Peacemaking 
is active. It is described as a pursuit. In Hebrews 12, 14, we read, Strive for peace with everyone. That word strive is the Greek term dioko. We also translate it and will translate it as persecute. You are actively to pursue peace. It illustrates the seriousness with which we should focus on peace with others. So how do we pursue, how do we persecute peace with other men? Peacemakers, I think first of all, are concerned when they cause offense to others. An important aspect of living a blameless life is having the humility to seek forgiveness from others. We think about the qualifications of being an overseer in God's church. These men are to be blameless men. This doesn't mean that they are going to be perfect. But I would insist that men who serve as overseers in Christ's church are near perfect in one thing. Seeking forgiveness when needed. Repenting when it is required. This is true for, we think about faithful fathers this morning. What is one important thing that fathers can demonstrate to their children? How to repent. When to ask for forgiveness. Reminding children that every sin ultimately is a sin against God. This is true for elders. True for pastors. None of us are above this. All should have the humility to seek forgiveness when we cause offense. Peacemakers are humble when they cause offense to others. They are sensitive to that. Peacemakers are humble when others cause an offense against them. We are commanded in Scripture to address sin But doesn't Scripture say that it is the glory of man to overlook an offense? Yes. Yes, it did. It does. But when do I know when I can overlook an offense and when I can't? Let me give you three principles. You must address sin when it harms a man's relationship with God. If you know by the providence of God that a man is in sin and that sin is breaking a man's relationship with God, then you must go to him. Two, you must address sin when it harms your relationship with another. You must do this. If you have a broken relationship with someone else, God is calling upon you to be faithful to him by going to that person. Thirdly, you must address sin when a man is causing harm to himself. Those are three principles that help us to know when we can overlook offenses and when we cannot. I want to remind you that God delights in a peaceful church. You know, one of the vows that you and I take when we become members of the church is that we will do all we can to observe the peace of the church. In in a, a few verses, God is going to tell us 
that those who bring sacrifices to him, if in the moment they are bringing that sacrifice to the temple, learn that they have offended someone, they put that sacrifice down, leave the temple, are to go and be reconciled to that brother and then come and offer sacrifices. Do not worship God and think that your worship is acceptable to him if you are living in an unreconciled relationship, if you are not pursuing reconciliation. In 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7, we are told that a man who is not living with his wife in an understanding way ought not expect his prayers to be heard. I want you to turn now with me to Titus chapter 3, verses 10 to 11. This is in the pastoral epistles. God, is advi- God through Paul, is advising Titus of how to conduct himself in the church. It is a popular thing for churches to have on their sign, all are welcome. All are welcome. We are reminded from Titus chapter 3, however, that not everyone is welcome in the church of Jesus Christ. Listen to these words. As for a person who stirs up division, after warning him once and then twice, have nothing more to do with him. Knowing that such a person is warped and sinful, he is self-condemned. Do you see what Paul is saying? If you are the kind of person who delights in sowing division, you know what I mean. You drop that little comment that little criticism, as you walk out the door, you, you develop allies, you are happy with cliques and divisions existing within the church. You sow doubt. You are faithless. You are not welcome in the church of Jesus Christ. And God, through Paul, is advising the officers in the church to reject those who do this sort of thing. God delights in a peaceful church and does not tolerate schismatics. Those who delight in division. Let me give you one last principle. When there is sin, reconciliation ought to take place face to face. Now, this is something that we have to say today where most of our lives are lived on Facebook or Instagram or TikTok. We develop these grand avatars of ourselves. We like people to think of us in certain terms. Well, you cannot be reconciled to a person through an email, through a text message, or Facebook. This is popular. If I offend you, I'll shoot you a quick text message. That's not right. God is not reconciled to you in a text message. Don't worry, Brian, everything's going to be okay. You see, the picture, the picture of reconciliation in Scripture through God's covenant is that he will look at you. That he brings you to himself. That in the marriage supper of the Lamb, you have a place at the table. 
And if we have been given a ministry of reconciliation, that ought to look like nothing less than being able to sit down at the table and have a meal with those who have offended us. God turns his face upon you. Reconciliation means a face-to-face meeting with others. Let me make one final point here. We see that that we are peacemakers. We are people who go into the world and, and proclaim peace to make peace between men and God. We are people who make peace between men and men. This is important to us. We strive for it. Lastly, those who make peace will be embraced as God's children. Do you see the beauty of that statement? Those who make peace will be embraced as God's children. Look back at Matthew 5, 9 with me. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. To be called a son of God is the ultimate sign of reconciliation. By nature, you are a son of the devil. So to be called a son of God demonstrates to you that the situation, the circumstance is completely flipped over. And God is giving you a great promise. No longer are you on the side of that enmity that God established in Genesis 3.15. Now, through the covenant, through the blood of Christ, you are called a son. You are given a right to all of the inheritance earned by Christ. We, through Christ, receive the adoption as sons. Do you know, one of the unique features of the Westminster Confession of Faith, it is one of the only uh, Reformed confessions that includes a chapter on adoption. Galatians 6, 4-7, listen to this. But let each one of you test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone, not in himself For each will have to bear his own load. That's not the right passage. Galatians 4 is where I meant to go. Let me turn there now. Galatians 4. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, To redeem those who were under the law, listen, so that we might receive the adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son as a seal into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. He declares to you now what you will be in eternity future, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. We are enabled to make, to create, to do peace between God and men and between men and men because we are at peace with God ourselves. 
You can't give a man something that you don't have. Remember that Christ himself in Isaiah 9, 6 is called the Prince of Peace. In Roman mythology, they had a god called Mars who was the god of war and conflict. It's where we get the name of the month March. Men go forth to war in the springtime. He was the protector of Rome and loved violence and conflict. He is pictured with a bolt of lightning in his hand, ready to strike. Christ is depicted as the Prince of Peace. He is the one whose government and the peace of it will have no end. Though he is the defender of God's honor, he does not love conflict, but peace. He is not a prince of war as David. He is a prince of peace. He is the bringer of peace. And he made peace through his own blood. We talked about all the covenants at the beginning. Ezekiel, in chapter 34, verse 25, refers to the new covenant made in the blood of Christ in these terms. I will make with them a covenant of peace and banish wild beasts from the land so that they may dwell securely in the wilderness and sleep in the woods. The rule of Christ brings peace. So then, it is natural that we are called sons of God. Notice, not son of God, but sons of God. It is a label given to all who obey Him. Because the Son of God is the Prince of Peace, all who are adopted and made sons are also peacemakers. This is a name given to those who demonstrate this characteristic. We are most like Christ when we do the work of peacemaking. Those who seek to make peace between men and God and to make peace between man and man will be given the title Sons of God. Are you being intentional to point other men to peace with God? Are you being intentional to address broken relationships? And so far as it depends on you to live in peace with others, you won't live in peace with everyone. And you're not held accountable for the way that men respond to you when you seek peace. But you are held accountable for seeking it. Are you demonstrating humility when others address sin in your life? Do you expect your brothers and sisters to come to you and tell you that you are in sin when you are? Are you gently addressing sin in the lives of your professing brothers and sisters. If you are, have this hope. You will be called a son of God. Amen. Let's pray.
our Lord and our God. We praise you that while we were yet enemies, Christ laid down his life so that through his blood, the blood of the offended one was shed on behalf of the offenders. And he, the God-man, reconciled us to you. He was made perfect through suffering in our behalf so that no longer would we be outsiders, no longer would we be the unclean who dwell on the outside of the camp away from fellowship with you, not having the hope of having your face shine upon us. But you've given us hope, putting your spirit within us, who compels us to be peacemakers. This takes courage. It takes bravery. It takes selflessness. Help us to be such a folk. We ask in Christ's name.